This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the Inesha Torah in the old city of Jerusalem. Overlooking the Temple Mount. So, there's various subjects um, that are on the table right now. And uh, I don't know how to handle all of them. Um, or whether I should, uh, we're in the middle of the discussion of acceptance and approval, making sure we don't blur those two because things get really messed up. And, um, uh, but maybe what I'll do is I'll handle three topics today, so we'll make three different classes. So we'll do uh, three classes, three shorties. So I think that's the best move. Uh, I need a black pen. Is there a black pen around here? I'll use green. So yesterday what we handled was the distinction between acceptance and approval. And we had handled when we blur approval with acceptance, which means that you're that the only the people you accept are the people you approve of. Which means basically you, you accept nobody. You wind up accepting nobody, meaning you, you accept only those you approve of. And by the way, it's not like you it's not like you approve of people who are you know, better than you or higher than you or more strict than you or more uh, observant than you or more something than you. You don't approve of them either. You know, that's the famous line in Judaism is that, is that anyone, anyone more observant than me is an extremist and anyone less observant than me is a goy. <laughs> so, so it's not like we only approve of people lesser standards. Even people higher standards we don't approve of. And so we wind up really not accepting anybody. But acceptance and approval are two very separate words. They have two very separate definitions. There is no reason you should be blurring them. It's just that there's certain things in life that when we don't distinguish them properly, they get blurred. Certain things get blurred. Like, for example, people talking, they're, they're often not saying what they're really feeling. But you'd be an idiot to follow their line of, of the words they're saying versus what they're feeling, because you're going to wind up in a lot of very tr- dramatic in- experiences, and you're going to have r- very dramatic interactions with people. For example, someone who's angry is probably feeling small. But then when they're angry, they usually yell. So when they're yelling, you wind up yelling back, and now you made them even smaller. And so, like, good job. Good job taking a small person and, and slamming them down even further. You understand? You, you'd you'd want to distinguish that. But we're, we're, we naturally don't distinguish certain things, and we have to learn to distinguish between what someone's saying versus what they may be feeling, so that we're careful with the way we interact. So in this particular case, sorry about all this noise, by the way, in case you're noticing there's a lot of peripheral noise. We have an army band playing at the Kotel. Okay? Army band playing down there. It's a good time to tighten my belt a little bit. When you're as thin as me, your belt is really important. Especially speaking live. Now, the, um, anyway, but what happens is we have high standards of approval, and then the, and then, so anyone more, anyone less is out, and we wind up only accepting those people. Now, acceptance is what leads to love. I'm just catching people up on yesterday. It leads to love. And so if you want to have a loving life, which is your most important thing, I mean, there's nothing anyone in here wants more than love in their life. So if you want to have that, you have to distinguish approval and acceptance and start to accept all people. And the way you accept all people is just by understanding that every person is doing the best with what they've been given. Even if they're doing the worst right now and you're looking at them, you're like, that does not look like someone's best. For him, that's the best he can do right now. Everyone's always doing the best they can do given the circumstances. And so, if you were living, yeah, if you had lived that person's life, that would be you. And so, right now, that person's doing the best of what they've been given, which may be quite lousy. But had you been them, that'd be you doing that lousy thing. So, whatever people are up to is what you'd be up to. And so, and the only reason you're who you are sitting in your seat right now is your history. That led to you sitting in that seat, and what led me to my history is me standing up here, and it all led to me standing up here. And so I totally accept you, because whatever you're up to in your life, I would have been up to had I lived your life. Yeah, you can easily get into 
free will. We can't get into the free will. You just misunderstood me. You were thinking that if you used your brain in my life, that would have been totally different. I'm talking about you using my brain in your in my life. You would have wound up right here because I used my brain and my free will all these years and wound up standing in front of you speaking right now. And you used all your free will and your brain all your life and it wound up with you right there. And if we switched, you would just be me right now talking to you and you'd be and I'd be listening to to you right now. But instead it's me talking to you. Don't worry about it. You misunderstood a little, but I think hopefully you got it this time. And it's a review from yesterday where we dealt with the misunderstanding that every person has. And you better buy that bike quick, bro, because <laughs> it's going to go soon, and I, I don't have your number. Yeah, Rabbi, it's a little out of money. It's too expensive Oh, it's too much money. Did I tell you a price? Yeah. Oh, okay. It was too much. Okay. It's a lot of money. Um, it's nothing, really. Oh, for what you bought it, yeah. No, even the amount. <laughs> even for what I'm selling, it's the perfect price. If I had the money, I would money. Let me tell you something. Never say if I had the money. Because you just get to committed. You get committed to something, and then it happens. You know what? You know what life looks like for people who say, "If I only had the money." When you meet them 30 years down the line, you know what they're saying 30 years later? If I only had the money. I'm not kidding. I know people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s who still aren't getting anywhere near their bucket list because they can't stop saying if they only had the money. Whereas all the other people who are fulfilling their bucket list, you know what they're doing? They're booking with travel agents to the places they want to go on their bucket list. And the travel agent's like, Okay, uh, you want to give me your credit card number? <laughs> and they give the credit card number, even though they don't really have the money. But they give the credit card number. And because they're so single-mindedly committed to getting this stuff done in their life, some other random thing happens and gets paid for. Gets paid for. The money just comes in. Because money follows commitment. <coughs> and those who think commitment follows money will spend the rest of their lives dreaming and get nothing done. Now, by the way... I'm not saying you should buy the bike, <laughs> but it was a perfect segue for someone who thinks money comes after a commitment. Money doesn't come after, sorry, that commitments come after money. Everyone got that? Money is just a, money is just something that enables things. Money just enables stuff. And the, and, and so you got to be in, t you stay focused on the stuff, <laughs> the money will enable it. But if you try to stay focused on the, on the money, well, it just will never come until it's got... Money only comes when you have something to buy. But if you don't have anything to buy, why would the money ever come? So I meet people all the time, they feel they can't afford to get married. <laughs> so the money will never come. Whereas someone else who's committed to getting married, the money comes. You understand? Someone who's committed to riding an exotic mountain bike the money comes. Somebody who's committed to, someone who's trying to figure out the money to get the exotic mountain bike will never ever know what it is to own an exotic mountain bike or ride one. Besides obviously borrowing one. And you're talking to someone, you're listening to someone right now who, who's like, you know, Baruch Hashem, I'm, I'm a bit of a, I, you know, I, I have, abundance does follow me around a bit. But the reason why abundance follows me around a bit is not because I'm like Mr. Like, you know, money magnet. I'm just Mr. Commit to things. And then the money comes every time. I've been living this way for years and years and years and years and years. And I've taught many, many people about this. To, I told this to two guys who couldn't afford my seminar this week. There were two people who just didn't have $650 for the seminar. And the discount was $500. And the people who didn't have $500 didn't come. But there were two guys I spoke to who said, I don't have the money. So I wish I could do your seminar. I really need it. And I told them exactly what I'm telling you. I said, just commit to it. Just commit to it. He said, well, what am I going to say when I get to the front desk? And they want to register me. And they ask me for my credit card. Or a check or cash. You tell them that Rabbi Glazer said, just stay committed. <laughs> 
And I didn't even know who these guys were. But I just got a WhatsApp this morning while I was meeting with one of the participants. And the WhatsApp came from the, the you know, the, uh, the manager of the seminars. Like, uh, there's two boys who don't have any money. So, like, the seminar's short a thousand bucks. And so I was just reading this thing. And, and the guy sitting next to me who I was meeting with said, what's, this, what do you, what's the thousand bucks you're reading about? And I said, there's two boys in my seminar. They don't have a thousand bucks. He says, okay, what's up your credit card to your secretary? I'll take care of it. Boom. Just like that. Covered. It's covered. And, and, and it's time after time after time. It's just another story every time. But you get to mit- committed to the stuff and let God worry about how to, how to, what, what resources are going to be necessary there. That's God's problem. Your problem's only laser beam focus on what you want in this life. We have a saying in Judaism that there's nothing that stands in front of desire. Your desire causes, when you have desire, it causes the the entities that God created the world with, there's all these worlds and they're filled with entities. It causes those entities to conspire. Your desire causes these entities to conspire to fulfill that which you desire. What happens if it's not for your benefit? They'll do it anyway. Haven't you noticed? Watch, look at the showing of hands here. Raise your hand if you ever desired, you ever wanted something that was not good for you ultimately, not spiritually or maybe not physically. Okay, keep your hands up if you got it. Look around. Look. Same people. Yeah. God created the world this way. We have another term that says, In the way that a person desires to go, they, who's they? They will take him there. Who are they? They are the entities. In Hebrew, they're called malachim. The entities are will conspire around your desire as long as you want it bad enough, they will conspire for your desire, even if it hurts you, even if it's against God, even if it's against Torah. God created the world this way. And now you might say, well, if I were God, I wouldn't let some of this stuff happen because people get hurt. All you have to do is look back a little more than 70 years. You see a lot of people getting hurt in World War II. Say, if I were God, I wouldn't let that, I wouldn't have that mechanism be quite so powerful. (laughs) It's too powerful, that mechanism. Well, not because he didn't finish his job. So the answer is is because, is that God, you know what God would say? If you you said that to God, God, you know, isn't that a little too much power of desire? Too much power of free will. Will means desire. To want something is to will something. Too much free will. And the answer, God, you know what God would say to you? He'd say, there's things about me that you just don't understand. Because <laughs> he's an, an FWF. God is an FWF. You know what FWF is? A free will freak. God's a free will freak. He's crazy about it. Crazy about your choices. And you want to know something? You want to honor people? You want to honor people who died in the Holocaust? You want to honor them? Make some good choices today. Because they only died because God put that much free will in the world. There's that much free will in the system. You can shoot yourself in the foot if you choose to, and he'll help you do that. There's tremendous free will in the system. So much free will that six million of our brothers and sisters perished third of our people were wiped out because of this way overabundance of, of free will and conspiring of desiring, of human desire. So, you want to honor them? Make a good choice. Make a good choice. Because God wants us, He loves us and He wants to give us the chance to earn closeness to God. And the only way you can earn close to God is you have to be able to go the other way. And what if every time you try to do something wrong, he stopped you? You wouldn't have any free will. So he has to allow you to do the wrong things in order to give you reward. 
So God's just kind of crazy about free will. That's just when you thought the music down below was disruptive. <laughs> now we got some kind of Balchuva jam session. <laughs> Take care of that. Now we need to go the other way. Is we'll only accept the people we approve of, but you know, one of the most beautiful things that ever happened in the world was acceptance. Acceptance is amazing. I mean, think about it. Everyone who accepts you, you love. Everyone who accepts you, you love. Everyone you hate are people really you suspect you didn't, that didn't accept you. And people you don't like are all the people you think didn't accept you. So acceptance is something very beautiful. We all love acceptance. And what has happened in Western society with the millennia is that they have, it started in the 1960s, but it ultimately gave birth to the millennial generation. That is, acceptance is number one. That's it, acceptance, which is beautiful. It's beautiful. And the problem is, is they have it blurred with approval. So they think not only do you have to accept everybody, but you also have to what? You also have to approve of everybody. Well, if you're approving everybody because acceptance, you know, you've got to accept everybody, so we're going to blur that with approval. That means that there's no more such a thing as right and wrong. That means there's no more right and wrong. So you, not only do they say there's no more right and wrong, there's no more gender. And then there's no more even hierarchy of competence. So, like, if you're particularly good at something or you're particularly high IQ, you're, you're supposed to earn the same amount as someone who's not so good at it and is of a lower IQ. Which is like, I mean, that's a good way to have your society completely fall apart. Because our society's running only on its expertise, whether it be in surgical medicine and, and uh, chemistry or engineering. You know, we want people with high IQs. We want to throw a lot of money at those people. So they'll want to do the jobs that are keeping us safe. Building the aircraft and flying that aircraft and and he, that's fine. That's just great. But they want to just wash all that stuff out because, you know, acceptance is such a beautiful thing, which we agree with. But they also want to make it that there's no such thing as wrong or right. So they've got these blurred badly, and it's, and it's super dangerous. Super dangerous, especially if you're Jewish, and all the more so if you're an observant Jew. Because if you're an observant Jew, you are enemy number one. Because in a world of washed out, washed out morals, where everything's become equal, equality. When you, you live in a world of washed out morals, you are the enemy if you're an observant Jew. You're literally the enemy of the people. You're the enemy of progressiveness. The world doesn't progress because of your influence. And if we get rid of you, then somehow... We could get back to our progressive, our prog the progression of society. If you're an observant Jew, that autom almost automatically makes you a racist. And you're bigot bigoted, and you're sexist, and you're, and you're, and if you're an observant Jew, where men are the leaders. You're you're a you're a um, you're a part of the uh, the something patriarchy. I forget what it's called. The something patriarchy. What is it called? I'm not going to ask you guys, but you're just part of that patriarchy. That's the Latin patriarch is father patriarch, like males, males dominating society. I mean, we're we're literally like we're everything they hate. We're everything they hate. Jude, Jude, the Torah forbids homosexuality. Calls it an abomination. The Torah, forget having a sex change. It's forbidden by the Torah for me to even wear a woman's scarf if I'm cold. 
and then I'm cold, and I gotta walk from here to there, and the only scarf around is, is you know, a lady's scarf. That's not even that clearly a lady's scarf, but it's for sure not a man's scarf. I can't wear it. It's a Torah commandment, like not eating pork, like circumcision, like oh, circumcision is certainly mutilation, right? Circumcision. And the baby didn't choose it. How dare you? You understand, like, you are the enemy of the millennial generation if you're an observant Jew. Now, you might say, well, then, then so are the Muslims. I mean, they're more backwards than we are. No. When it comes to Muslims, now we're fighting for their freedom. Fighting for their freedom. They want to be self-determining in, in London and France and and they, they, how dare you tell them how, that they can't cover their entire body with fabric. You know, we, we fight for them. They're the oppressed of Israel. They're Israel's, they're, they're the Israel's victims of the Israeli apartheid state. Even though often in our parliament, like the third, the third party will be Arab. But we'll, we'll ignore that. So you have to realize that if you're Jewish, you're just, you're just the enemy of, of the West. And, and, it's, uh, and it's all for beautiful reasons, because acceptance is super high up there, as it is for us. But they have it blurred with approval. And once you blur it with approval, watch out. And if you think those millennial, you know... Peace, love, and like uh, equality of wealth, and all the other Marxist and communistic ideas that they have. You think they're very peaceful because they do like to wear rainbows and stuff. You know, they seem really peaceful. They're, you should know that, that. I mean, you don't have to ask me. Just, just Google uh, what has been the major- what has been in the U.S. The majority of political violence has it come from the left or the right in the last in the last three years. Where's political violence coming up? From the left side or the right side? Yeah, it's almost all from the left. It's almost all from the left. You can go on YouTube and watch all the left people freaking out. Freaking out over someone wearing a Trump shirt. You know, as, as if that's like insightful to wear a shirt that has the president of the United States name on it. You know, it's like, you know they, they, there's great violence in the left great violence. It swings quickly to violence. And that's where all the peaks came from, which is really weird. But can I just explain them in case some of you are a little baffled why the, why the peace and the freedom fighters and the equality people, and we're all the same, you know, why, why the violence comes from there. The violence comes from there because it becomes justified. Because when you feel strongly enough about acceptance, when you feel strongly enough about equality, and there are elements amongst the society that are, that are like still holding up for the old, uh, you know, like uh, values that have worked for thousands of years. You know, values that actually have been kind of creating the fabric of society for years. Like if you, if those, if those people are sensed as a threat to progress, it's not far off to dehumanize them. It's not far off to dehumanize them because they're in the way. And you could, we could all get that. Like, let's say we're all hanging out at a party and we're all, like, having a great time. And, you know, it's California and, like, everyone's just enjoying themselves and it's chill and the music's playing and sunlight's shining and we're all having a great time. Uh, but meanwhile, someone from the East Coast comes and lights a cigarette. At the party. They just didn't realize me. They just arrived. They don't understand that you don't smoke cigarettes if you're from California. Like, ever. Not indoors, not outdoors, nor, never, nowhere. Like, it just doesn't exist. Nobody smokes. He didn't know. Except he happened to be a little stubborn. <laughs> He's like, what, everyone chill out, man. And we're like, we're not chilling out, man. We're not smelling that stuff. Like, just... Get it out of here and don't even smoke it anywhere near the building so it doesn't come in the windows, please. And he's like, chill out. Like, relax. It's just a cigarette, you know? You'll get used to it. 
No harm, no foul, you know. Just a little smoke. You know, some people like the smell. Anyway, imagine that guy, like, keeps, stays in there. You know, so the most chill people in the world are going to eventually just throw that sucker out of there physically. You know, someone's going to pick him up and throw him out of there and teach him a little uh, West Coast lesson, you know, about tobacco smoke. Am I offending you, ladies, or did I say something wrong? Oh, really? You're ditching class? Okay. Enjoy. Bye. Sorry to hear that. Did you care? You hit him in the face. Oh wow! So I thought they're the ones who are supposed to hit us in the face. Yeah, but like, listen, when it comes when it comes to like, sir, oh, you said the word Nazi. Yeah, oh, I got triggered. Like, listen, they get they have their words that trigger them. I have mine. Sorry, sorry, I forgot about what he called you. Wow, that's pretty intense. What was his response after you punched him in the face? He wasn't. Didn't respond. <laughs> no response. Well, I mean, look at your biceps, man. Like, you barely fit in your shirt. Called the wrong guy a Nazi. Yeah. I just want to make a quick remark. You said that uh, today is, it's uh, Marxism and uh, socialism. I think this is way too uh, simplified to say that it's Marxism because Marxism, if we take it, the deep roots and the deep guys, the first guys, are not what you're describing. Yeah, it's not. That wasn't what I was describing. Today, though, it's used as, they, they use it as, like, kind of a modern Marxism. Because also that uh, the left acceptance, because me, I'm from France, and my, uh, my grandmother escaped uh, the Jews because of some communists. Do you mind if we film you so this isn't totally boring for the people watching it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, go on. I was just saying that uh, if you make a remark on a political party, that's it's an ideology, so that's like um, a cell or something that moves. It evolves. It it, uh, it has a birth and it has a death. You cannot stick to a word that appeared uh, on the 19th century. And as me, as a French Jew, uh, my grandmother escaped. Uh, see uh, what we call them, the uh, collaborators, uh, those who worked with the Nazis, the French who worked with the Nazis, but those guys were from the left, and they had the same kind of acceptance and approval ideology that could make them go way too far. But this too far, this little too far, saved some lives, because right-oriented, this... Uh, this craziness can you make can make you think can you make you do the right things on your life can you just tell us on a separate I like what you said can you tell us just from your own perspective what's anti-semitism like in France because we always hear about it but we don't we never get to meet anybody who lives in France it's very complicated because France has been the first European country to give uh citizenship for the Jewish people. This is why we are the third um, Jewish community in the world. Uh, the too much information. I just want to know about wearing kippahs on the street. Or oh, yeah. Um, no, no history. Yeah, it can be... It, well, it, it depends on where. I mean, uh, it's like, yeah, if I go to an Arabic or Muslim uh, neighborhood, it can go wrong because some of the guys are going to say, oh, he's a Zionist. Because they know they cannot say Jew. So they say, oh, Zionist, Zionist, and stuff, and... <laughs> that was Avshi Weingott, chief on, rabbi of Tzfat. Wait, 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 one sec, one sec. Uh, is it, I don't know who it's on anymore. I just hung up on the chief rabbi. One sec, one sec. The... The, the distinction between acceptance and approval, they have to be fully distinct. We're going to conclude this chapter. They have to be, because I want to move to his living passionately. They have to be fully distinguished. You just have to distinguish them. 
And that way you can have your values. There can be values and distinction of values. That's fine. That's not just fine. It's important that we that there's such things as values and right and wrong. And there is acceptance, which is that you understand that even when someone's not keeping your values or they keep your values better than you, that you can accept that person because had you lived their life, that would be you doing this super strict version of values. Or that'd be you doing this super lackadaisical value, uh, version of values. That would have been you. So you can easily separate the two. And by separating the two, so you promote love, connection, and you get to have the world that you really most desire to live in, which is the world of love. But a world of love with values as opposed to a world of love that's washed clean of values because, wow, values create distinction, which creates... You know, because values means ultimately right and wrong, and the right and wrong means now we're going to make distinctions, and once we're making distinctions, so then how are we going to accept people? And so I'll just tell you one quick story, and then we're going to move to that dude back there's chapter. What's your name? Andres. Andres. And where are you from, Andres? Venezuela. Yes. yes. Okay. Anyway, so then we'll move to Andres's subject, which I'll start again the, the live feed. Um... But I'll just tell you one story, is that when I was becoming a rabbi here at Eshet Torah, um, there, were, there were branches throughout uh, shuls, synagogues, programs, and Esh branch throughout the world that had their eyes on the Esh rabbis for hiring us. And so I was in, I was in um, uh, what's it called? Community... Uh, what does it mean when you're uh, communicating with talks. someone whether you're going to get a job or not? Serious talks. Serious talks. Yeah, there's a negotiations. Yeah. I was in. It was. We already got past serious talks. Now we're at negotiations, and we finished negotiations. And so I got a phone call at my house, where the head of this particular place said, uh, "We'd like to FedEx you a contract. So our board wants you, and you know, your you and your people said fine. So." We'd like to FedEx you a contract. So I said, fine, you know, I'll give you my address. He said, but there's just one more thing. Um, would you, I, you're, we're, you're obviously going to cut off your payas, right? And I'm like, excuse me? He's like, well, you're, you're, you're going to cut your payas, aren't you? I'm like, what do you mean? Why would I cut my payas? What's that have to do with anything? And they're like, well, I mean, you're going to be a campus rabbi, and campus rabbis shouldn't be walking around with payas. You know, like, people feel like, how could they, you know, how accessible could a guy be with pigs, you know? And so I said, listen, I asked everything else to my rabbi. I'll call my rabbi and ask him, but I'm a little shocked. So I hung up the phone. I called my rabbi, and I said, rabbi. I'd already asked the rabbi several of the negotiation points. And so I said, rabbi, now they're asking me to cut off my pigs. <laughs> and the rabbi said, I'll translate in, in English. But he says, he, um... You're supposed to bring bringing them closer to Judaism, not you closer to secularism. <laughs> that was his answer. And so he says, absolutely not. So I called the guy back. I said, absolutely not. He spoke to the board the next day, and the board said, absolutely not. Now, now I was just a young guy at the time. I was just, a, you know, one of these wet behind the ears studying to be a rabbi guy. And this guy had no idea that, that I would be amongst the echelon of, like, outreach speakers in the world. And he had a chance for cheap to get me to a city. And once you move to a city, the likelihood of you getting stuck there is strong. And so I run into him at conventions once in a while. This is already 20 years ago, but I run into him in conventions over the 20 years. And he always tells me, like, what an idiot I was. What an idiot I was. Because he didn't understand this distinction. He thinks that you have to get rid of your standards to be an accepting person. You have to wash out your Judaism at least as much as possible to not offend anybody so that everyone feels accepted by you. He didn't understand that acceptance when it's in your heart is a vibrational reality that is, regard that is irregardless of your values, standards, appearance, level of observance. It's not connected to it. It's two separate subjects. So you have your standards. You never drop your standards. Think about standards. Think about it. How do you feel? Like everyone has their own standards. You have standards? Standards? Yeah, you have standards. 
show me a human being without standards. Every person has standards. They could be a totally observant Jew, or they could be covered in tattoos. They got standards. The guy's got standard what kind of tattoo parlor he's willing to go to. Everybody's got standards. But here's the thing. How do you feel? How do you feel when you compromise your standards of life? How do you feel when you compromise? The answer is you eat your heart out. You just eat your heart up. When you when you when you compromise your standards, you can't even live with yourself. You can't even look in the mirror. And yet people are constantly compromising their standards to basically be accessible, to look good, to be accepting that people shouldn't be put off by them. People are constantly sacrificing, compromising standards to stay in some kind of level of being acceptable, relatable, accepting. But meanwhile, that doesn't work either. Because if you aren't accepting, so lowering your standards aren't going to help. You understand? If you're really just a judgmental jerk, lowering your standards isn't going to help anybody. Doesn't help anybody. We all know people without these who are not accept are not accepting. It doesn't. These don't make you not accepting, but they do represent some level of standards. And so, so this is the last point I wanted to give you is that is that never compromise standards. Never compromise your standards of what you call approvable, at least in your life. For acceptance, never compromise that. You don't. You don't compromise that because because then you eat. You you can't live with yourself. You're not true to yourself. You're you keeping your standards is you living true to yourself, and you don't compromise that stuff. That's the stuff you don't compromise because if you compromise that, you're going to wind up losing a lot of your well-being. I mean, I think all of us do compromise sometimes, but how do you feel about yourself? You feel terrible. Like, meaning you, you consider this to be the right thing to do. You somehow got in some thought process that took you way down below that. You did something really stupid. You, you, how do you feel about yourself? You feel terrible about yourself. And so that's not for sale. Your well-being, you're feeling okay about yourself, that's not for sale. Not even for looking more accessible, looking more accepting. That's, that's not, it's not worth it, because it hurts you. You can't live with yourself when you, when you break your own standards, when you drop your own values. And again, we all do it. We've got a Yetzirah. We all do it sometimes. We make mistakes. But you'll notice every time you make those mistakes, you can't, you can't even look yourself in the mirror. Feel terrible. So what are you going to do? Feel terrible? So what good are you for anybody? Oh, now you, now you look really accessible. You, now you, your behavior and you, the fact that you're willing to drive to this particular Shabbos, even though we're not supposed to drive on Shabbos, but you, know, you didn't want to offend them. And, or you ate at the meal that you weren't supposed to eat at because it's not really kosher. But, you know, maybe they would be offended. No, all you did now was you you broke, you breached your own covenant with yourself. Because every standard that every person has, it may be God-given. But that's your, it's yours. It's a covenant with you. Uh, if it was just covenant with God, you wouldn't feel so bad. This is your covenant. If it was covenant with God, okay, you know, however guilty you'd feel, you'd feel. But it's when you break your true standards that you really feel bad. Because you breached your covenant with yourself. You know, to, to join Achashverosh's little uh, bar mitzvah lunch and Billy Bob bad boy bar mitzvah barbecue in the forest. <laughs> ten miles out of town and you just, God forgive me, and you jumped in the back of the car and you showed up there. But there's something even worse that you did. Because people know you. They know you keep Shabbos normally. Or they know you keep kosher normally. And you are actually, you know how Judaism works? It's weird it works this way. But everyone's holding somebody else up. You know, like those monkey links linked to each other. Yeah. So we're all linked together. Yeah. You know, like, let's yeah. say, 
let's say um, let's say all of you were like close students of mine, which I do feel you are, but it's kind of changes every day. But let's say you're all close students of mine, and you're holding whatever you hold, and you're putting out effort to hold a certain level in Judaism, and you walk through town one Shabbos, and you see one of those like rare cafes that are open down one alley, you know, and they don't care about Shabbos, and anyway, they're serving shrimp cocktail, and there's Rabbi Glazer. He's like, he's, he's taking each shrimp and he's just going like. You know, and hanging out with a bunch of like floozies or whatever. Yeah, Tell me what's going to happen to you. What's going to happen to you the next time you're in a situation where you got to put some uh, muscle into keeping that particular Jewish law? What might happen to you? Like, if he doesn't care, why, why do I care? You know, like, you understand? We're all in this monkey link thing together. We're all like, there's, I promise you, there are people pulling me up, and I'm pulling others up. And we're all like this all the time. We're all getting like, we're pulling each other up. And so to show up at Big Bad Bob's barbecue bar mitzvah 10 miles into the forest so that you shouldn't hurt anybody's feelings means that. They're gonna, that person's going to be stuck whether or not to light Hanukkah candles next month. And he's like, well, I don't have candles, but I could go out and get candles, but, you know, I, I, I don't even know where I'd really get candles, but I guess I could go search around, but, you know, forget it. Forget it. And so that person who used to light candles didn't bother. So... So, meaning you didn't do anyone any favors because everyone knows your level of observance. And they're, they're, and they're, to see you compromise that, even for them, they may appreciate it a little because you did it for them, but, but you ultimately just dumped everybody. You just took all the monkeys that you're holding and you just kind of went like that, like knocked all those monkeys off their own Judaism because we're all holding each other up here. And so people already know you do certain things who are close to you, who, they may not do those things, but I promise you, they're, you're holding them up in some way or another in this you know, deep exile we're in, where people are just holding on by a thread. So that thread is you sometimes. That thread is your own personal observance. Okay. So there's a great responsibility in that. And I'll tell you just one last thing before I take David's question, is that... Uh, just one more thing is that I want you to be at Billy Bad Bob Bar Barbecue Bar Mitzvah party. I want you to be there. And I want people to walk up to you and go, wow, I can't believe you came. Like I thought you kept Shabbos. And you say, see up there that hill over there with the pine forest? And you notice that tent? I've been here since Friday. You camped out just to be with us for Shabbos. That means a lot. That means a lot to us. And you want to know something? My mother did that. When she became observant, she, she was like one of the matriarchs of this big family. How can she stop going to the bar mitzvahs and the bat mitzvahs and all the, all the brises, all the things that were being held in times and situations where you just can't really make it because if you're keeping halacha it would have been impossible but here one of the matriarchs of this big family became observant so you want to know something she was the one with the tent she was the one like she made sure she was there and you want to know something amazing is now that it's like she's been observant for like i don't even know how many years now like 27 years or something but 27 years later when there's an event in the family and these people are like they're no strangers to pork you know like they'll, 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 they'll they, they, it's like, a, it's like, how many things can you do wrong possibly at one bar mitzvah? Okay, <laughs> you know, there's a lot more bar than mitzvah at this bar mitzvah. Okay, and the, but what happens is, when she receives the invites now, and it's been already for 15 years like that, when she receives her invite, it's amazing. She opens the invite, she gets the classic invite, and in there it says the hotel that they booked for. No one got a hotel booked. Everyone's driving in. And the hotel, it says how far it is from the, from the synagogue or the hall where the reception is. Um, and 
and here's the uh, certificate of the food we've ordered for you. And it took a couple years for them to catch on that her love and commitment to the, to the family was going to stay of the highest level relevance to her as her observance of Torah. It was going to keep, she was going to keep both standards. To the point where today, you know, you send my mother an invite to a, a bar mitzvah, she gets it with like a full, the full carte blanche kosher experience. You know, and she's just sitting there eating her thing that was sometimes brought him from really far away, from like some Chabad 500 miles away. It was like sent via Amazon or something, you know, <laughs> double wrapped for some microwave or something to get it heated up for her. But it's always well set up for her. And it's very respectful that they do that. And it's all because she refused to be one of those Bali Chuva who hides from their family to keep their observance. You can do both. It may be inconvenient. You may miss Kriya Satera. Because there's, there's usually no Torah reading when you're <laughs> camped out in a forest. You know, but, uh, but that's okay. Torah reading is a, is a public obligation. It's not an individual obligation. When you're camped out in the forest, you don't have to hear the Torah. David. Uh, my name is not Bella, but it's okay. Whoops. What's your name? Whatever you want to call it, it's cool. I want to call your name. Yehuda! That's where I was going. But I decided if I blew the first guess, I'm not going on the second one. Okay, you're on. I have a question. Um, if Yehuda is like this is something happening to me in the past. I was uh, at someone's house, someone, someone I was dating, we were there for Shabbat, and her and I were like, sort of religious, her parents were what they call traditional, now after the Friday night meal, they all, they, parents put on TV, they always had a thing, that they all watched TV together. The Chavad Shabbos Kodesh, the family after the meal watches TV together. Let me ask you a question, to respect the people I'm staying with, you would say don't watch TV with them, even though I didn't turn it on. But that's your question? Like, what would someone do in that situation? Because uh-huh. I know what I did probably wasn't the best idea, but if that ever happens to anybody... I'm afraid to hear what you did, but... I watched, I sat and watched you. Oh, you sat and watched. Uh, oh, thank you. Zoom back out. Okay. Just give it a two-finger zoom. So, because I know, like, there's a the whole thing. People, you. you know, if you turn the TV on before Shabbos... Technically, you're not controlling the channel, but it's not in the spirit of Shabbos, but this is an issue of respecting someone's parent. I mean, what, what do you say to that? So I personally would have, I would have, um, I would have first seen what they're watching. Just kidding. It was 60 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. It's like the Super Bowl, you know, <laughs> or is that Sunday? Sunday. Yeah, Super Bowl Sunday. So, um, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I would have just said, uh, you know, I'm tired, I'm going to sleep. And they would have all known. Right. They would all know why you're going to sleep, but it would have been probably a better thing to establish standards, at least your own. So let me ask you: Can someone camp out for a country concert that happens to be playing on Friday night, and they just camp there? I mean, it's a similar thing. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> all the good concerts are on Friday, and you just camp out there the whole time. The old uh, go with the go with the Gentile to the rock concert and have them hold your ticket. <laughs> you know. Have them carry your ticket. All they, in New York, they all used to go to the ball games. All the Shomer Shabbos kids used to go to the games. And, um, anyway, but that's that's a that's an individual basis, uh, which you're asking me as an individual. But no, no, I mean, letter of the law for sure, it's a lot. But the question is, is it the right thing to do? Okay, right you're asking more the right thing to do. Right thing to do is individual basis. I'd have to know more about you. I'd have to know where you're at. I'd have to know what's going on with you. I mean, I know several people have been observant now for. 30 years and they're still at every music festival that is also on Shabbat and they're, they're always at those festivals and they're never going to stop going to them and they, and they, they actually run, run Shabbos tents at the festivals with the whole Shabbos meal and they just have it worked out with the organizers that they'll be also at the concerts and so they're dancing at the concerts and then they're running back to serve chillin so I know that sounds pretty out there but that's what I'm saying. You you, you got to know the individual. You got to know where they're holding. You know, is it that, or they're just going to break Shabbos? 
Maybe it's better, for, better they should be doing exactly that. That might be their mitzvah of Shabbos, because otherwise they'd wind up breaking Shabbos. I don't know. It depends on the person. You know, they, the funny thing is that these concerts, everyone's getting high. And so, I mean, are you allowed to have a Gentile blow smoke into your mouth? Anyway, I, my sense is that having a Gentile blow smoke in your mouth is forbidden, I think. He's doing something for you. Yeah, it's like so directly, directly Mavir Aish. You know, they're Mavir Aish. What was if he doesn't clear for you? his bomb? What? If he doesn't clear his bomb. <laughs> then there's more sense. Some of my students are going to really love where this class is going. <laughs> if he doesn't clear his bomb. If he didn't clear his bong, that's probably permitted to clear his bong. Yeah. Okay. Well, I got a question. But not if he did it specifically for you. Right. You just have you just happen to walk up. Hey, what's up? Mind if I clear that bong? Okay, so <laughs> go right ahead. So anyway. You have another question? This is becoming a halachic... Uh, no, no, nothing to do with this. Nothing to do with this. Okay. Regarding, regarding what you said before. So what happens if you build standards for yourself, but yet someone very close to have been very hurt by those standards, yeah. i.e. Judaism, right? Let's say if I build standards for myself when it comes to Judaism, but someone very close to me has been very hurt by that and doesn't have those standards anymore, very hurt by those standards. So how do I show them that, that I still love them and accept them, but at the same time still be able to hold to my standards and not portray it on them, but at the same time just keep my essence? So I would imagine that the best thing to do would be to um, communicate that you love them and accept them even though you're going to be keeping your standards and that your standards have nothing to do with your love and acceptance of them. And just be, be highly communicative. If it doesn't work, so then you call them out and you get passive-aggressive. You call them out on it. You just say, like... like uh, why is my observance affecting you this way? Now they're stuck. They have to answer. And then I promise you it's going to be about them and not you. And so you're set. If you say that, like, why is my observance affecting you like this? It's going to automatically set it up that they're going to have to start answering for themselves. And you're off the hook. It's not, about, it's not about wanting to be off the hook. I want them to be able to feel that love. And, and that, that care towards them, just, even just, though... Just love-bomb them, like do something over the top. You know, flowers, box of chocolates, all the good things. Go over the top with them so that it's like they can never deny your love for them. And I only brought up that as a mushel, the flowers and box of chocolate. That was only as an analogy, but go so over t the top that they could never deny it. And then, uh, and then the, the if they still have an observance issue, that's their their issue, not yours. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, our next class today is making sense of science. Shalom, everybody. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.